Let's stand in honor of God's word tonight. It's only a few times in 24 years of ministry that I've felt like I was preaching a message that was well beyond me, and that's what I feel like I'm doing tonight. I think I'm more excited for what's going to come out of my mouth than for what's written down. Um, uh, these scriptures are, are very, very important to me. Um, they were verses that God was using to speak to me long before I was married, um, speaking about the calling that was on my life long before I ever was in any kind of full-time ministry, long before we ever came to Ionia with two young boys. Um, and so I believe God has quickened them tonight for us in this season says, the voice said to me, son of man, eat what I'm giving you. Eat this scroll, then go and give its message to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. Fill your stomach with this, he said. And when I ate it, it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said, son of man, go to the people of Israel and give them my messages. I'm not sending you to a foreign people whose language you cannot understand. No, I'm sending you to a people with strange and difficult speech. If I did, they would listen. But the people of Israel won't listen to you any more than they listen to me. For the whole lot of them are hard-hearted and stubborn. But look, I've made you as obstinate and hard-hearted as they are. I've made you, your forehead, as hard as the hardest rock. So don't be afraid of them or fear their angry looks, even though they are rebels. Then he added, Son of man, let all my words sink deep into your own heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. Then go to your people in exile and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, and do this whether they listen to you or not. Then the Spirit lifted me up. I heard a loud rumbling sound behind me. May the glory of the Lord be praised in this place. It was the sound of the wings of the living beings as they brushed against each other and the rumbling of their wheels beneath them. Then the Spirit lifted me up and took me away. I went in bitterness and turmoil, but the Lord's hold on me was strong. Then I came to the colony of Judean exiles in Tel Aviv and beside the Kabar River, and I was overwhelmed and sat among them for seven days. Father in heaven, you are lending a greater identity to the church in these last days than you ever have. Father God, I ask that you would give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear tonight. Because there's a reason why we've gone through this trial and that trial. There's a reason why we've been born in this day and age, in this time. There's something about our makeup that said, this is the day and this is the age these people need to be on the earth. Father God, reveal a greater purpose, a purpose that extends beyond our marriages, our families, beyond our church, our cities. Father God, show us your heart, your desire in these last days. Father, give us a taste Give us a glimpse, Father God, of what you're going to pour out. Father, how your spirit is going to affect us in these last days. Because, Father God, you never, ever, ever, ever pour your spirit out as some kind of display of your might. As some kind of display of your strength. You pour it out always for a purpose on a purpose. And so, God, I thank you that tonight we're going to reveal a greater purpose for our existence. In Jesus' name, we all pray and say, amen. And amen. Amen. You can be seated. As I said tonight, the message is called Divine Stubbornness. And I believe that what we're going to talk about tonight is it's probably going to be more caught than taught. It's going to be something that you grasp 
with your heart. I believe it's going to be that which separates the men from the boys and the girls from the women in the kingdom of God. And of course, I'm not speaking age. I'm speaking maturity. I believe tonight's message will convict the sinful and confirm the call. Notice in verse 4. It says, Then he said, Son of man, go to the people of Israel and give them my messages. Give them my messages. We know from Ezekiel 3, 4 that the scroll that God had Ezekiel eat was his messages or his word. And notice that he had Ezekiel eat them. And any message God gives us is sweet to the taste. But I want to show you another aspect of the messages that God gives us. And this is really important that you get this. Keep your spot and go to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. Because I believe we'd all agree that the word of God is sweet. We'd all agree that it's sweet. But look at Revelation 10, begin in verse 8. said, Then the voice from heaven spoke to me again, Go and take the open scroll from the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and he told me to give me the, and he told him to give me the small scroll. Yes, take it and eat it, he said. It'll be as sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. So I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet in my mouth, but when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. And then it goes on to speak about how you're supposed to prophesy and go to the peoples. And um, notice that the Apostle John discovered that the Word of God is sweet to the taste, but it can be bitter to the stomach. And in both Ezekiel and John's case, what was eaten was meant to be given and delivered to others. Regarding God's word and God's call, two things are necessary. And I've seen many just get one of these and not the second. First of all, regarding God's word and God's call, a grace to receive messages from God is, an, is necessary. And that's always sweet to us. A grace to receive messages. Man, God showed me. Man, God revealed to me. The word that God gave me. It's always, always sweet. Always sweet to the taste. There is a grace in every ministry. There is a grace in every call to receive messages from God, to receive his word. The second part, though, is the stomach to deliver those messages which can be bitter to us. There's a grace to receive messages from God which are sweet to us, and then we need the stomach to deliver those messages which are bitter to us, and I believe that these these essentials are essential for every believer. They're, they're critical for, for every believer. And I believe that the closer we get to Jesus' return, the more critical these two aspects are going to be. Going back to Ezekiel 3 now. Look at verse 10. Then he added, Son of man, let all of my words sink deep into your own heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. Notice that it says, let all my words sink deep in your own heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. I think sometimes we feel that we can just get something from God and immediately give it away, but that's not the instruction that's given here. The instruction is that we need to listen to them carefully for ourselves first. They need to sink into our own heart deeply first. So our depth of ministry will be determined by the depths God's word is allowed to go in our heart. 
The depth of ministry that you have will be determined by the depth that the word of God has allowed into your, into your heart. Nobody's questioning whether you've received something from God. Nobody's questioning that at all. But the depth of ministry is gonna be determined, be determined by the depth that the word of God has been allowed into your heart. Notice it says all God's word, so no picking and choosing here. We don't get to receive all of God's word except the portions about sexual sin or financial integrity or pride or anger. You get the picture. We don't get to pick and choose. It's all of God's word. We receive all of God's word. My pastor used to say, if God's word said that Jonah swallowed a great fish, I'd believe it. We receive all of God's word. We just don't get to, to pick those things that sit right with us and and that's the temptation today. And therein lies the rub today. We must listen carefully for ourselves. If we won't listen carefully for God's word for ourselves, we're not gonna listen for others. We're not gonna listen carefully for others either. That's why the Apostle Paul warned the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20, verse 28, to, to take heed to themselves and then the flock. Why should you be entrusted with a flock if you're not gonna take heed to yourself? Why should you be entrusted with a group if you're not gonna take heed to yourselves? The NLT words it, so guard yourselves and God's people. I'm convinced that many struggle in ministry because they're, they are not or did not listen carefully for themselves. And I, I don't know how many times I've seen it, but how do you minister to other marriages when yours stinks? How do you reach other families when yours is in disarray and in rebellion? How do, you, how do you do that? I want to remind you of a portion of Scripture in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And I want you to notice a truth here that maybe you've not noticed before. The story will be, will be familiar to you, but there's a key element in here I really need you to grasp. Luke 6, look at 47. 46. Yeah, I gotta start at 46. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. Notice there's three levels there. They've come to God, they listen to his teaching, and then they follow it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep, lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well-built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground, whether or without a foundation, when the floods sweep down against that house, it'll collapse into a heap of ruins. I believe many Christians struggle with life storms because they haven't dug deep enough. Whether something's solid or not is determined by how deeply you're willing to dig. Gotta dig deeper. Gotta go deeper. Not going deep enough. Pastor John, I feel like my world's going crazy. I feel like my life is crumbling. Dig deeper. Go deeper. Go deeper. Go spend more time with God. Be sure that you've heard from. Dive rich and, 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 and consistently into God's word. Dive, dive deep. Go deep in there. Dig deeper. Dig deeper. I think we want to treat our relationship with God in kind of a surfacey kind of way. As if, you know, we're in some acquaintance with God instead of a relationship with God. Jesus is coming back for a bride, not a girlfriend. A bride, a committed bride. And she has made herself ready. She's made herself ready. I believe if you want what you're building to last, you gotta 
dig, dig deeper. Why? Because God's word is not always going to sit right with us. It's going to be bitter in our stomach at times. The danger today is that many are adjusting God's word so it sits better with them, sits right with them. I so struggle with that. Pastor John, I have just such a hard time believing that God would be... I didn't know that anybody was asking your opinion about God and his word. I didn't know that that was, that that was an option for us. Let's establish some biblical truth today. Is God the God of all comfort? Is the Holy Spirit the comforter? Yes. But is God's word confrontational? Thank you. Is God's word confrontational? Yes. Is it watery, consistently changing to meet the demands of culture and society? No. It's God's word, not ours. So I don't get to take God's word like they're trying to take the Declaration of Independence, our Constitution. I don't get to take it and twist it to meet the culture in the day that I live in. See, we don't get to change God's word. God's word changes us. And when we begin to change God's word, then there's big trouble in little China. And all of a sudden, God's word is rendered effectual, ineffectual. It no longer has any potency. It no longer has any power because it's now being adjusted to, to placate everybody and to sit right with everybody. And nothing preached from God's word then can ever upset anyone. And so you've got churches that are preaching these friendly messages because they, they don't want to upset anyone. And I think there's a danger there. I think we're living in a dangerous, dangerous time. Go to Revelation 21. I want to show you this. Revelation 21. Look at 17. Revelation 21, 17. It says, Then he measured the walls and found them no, that's not where I want to be. 22.17. Yep. In, in April, March, April, I'm going to kick off a series called The Spirit and the Bride, I think in the middle of April. And it kind of stems from this verse, and so I'm going to try not to go too deep into it, but... There's something I want you to see. Notice 22:17. The spirit and the bride say come. Let anyone who hears this say come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from the prophecy of this book, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. Do you see the comfort of God inviting all to come and drink freely? The invitation goes out to anyone and everyone. God is inviting anyone and everyone. But do you also see the confrontation and the command to not add to or subtract from God's word? As soon as we begin to add to and subtract from God's word, then there's nothing, uh, there's no longer anything to come to. At least not that's God. We're coming to our own revision. We're coming to our own spin. We've got all these spin doctors preaching today and they're taking from and they're adding to because they're, they're worried. 
they're worried about upsetting people. I don't know about you, but when I came to Jesus, he upset my world. He turned my world upside down, and it needed to be turned upside down. And you came to him, and he changed you as well. God's not an add-on. You know, I like my life. I just need a little bit of Jesus. God's not an add-on. God's transformational. Go back to Ezekiel 3, and we're going to get a little bit deeper now. I mean, aren't you grateful for those moments in God's presence where he was able to cut you deep, he was able to go deep there with you? I, I, I mean, I, where there wasn't a doubt anywhere at any given time whether or not it was God that spoke to you, you just knew. It was way too pointed. It was way too specific. It was way too exact for you to question whether it was God or not. Look at Ezekiel 3, and I want to read 4 through 9 again. It says, then he said, son of man, go to the people of Israel. Give them my messages. So what do we give to people? We give them God's messages. I'm not sending you to a foreign people whose language you cannot understand. No, I'm sending you to a people with strange and difficult speech. If I did, they would listen. But the people of Israel won't listen to you any more than they listen to me. For the whole lot of them are hard-hearted and stubborn. But look, I've made you obstinate and as hard-hearted as they are. I have made your forehead as hard as the hardest rock, so don't be afraid of them or fear their angry looks, even though they are rebels. You'll see something similar in Jeremiah's call. He said, look, I'm but a youth. You know, I'm too young to speak. Don't be afraid of their faces. You're going to tell them what I tell you to tell them. You're going to, and Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, even though he was crying all the time, probably brought one of the strongest messages. You're going to see similar elements in most of these Old Testament calls. I just want to say this, and I was just talking to Lisa about this earlier today. One of the main reasons why I believe God sent my wife and I here is because we're stubborn. Because we're stubborn. And I think that God is raising up a stubborn people, stubborn for all the right reasons, stubborn for all the right things. You have that strong will for a reason. You have that you're not going to tell me I can attitude for a reason. I believe it's God. It's God given. God needed to send someone to Ionia that was just as stubborn as the people here. Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> so I believe if you are going to fulfill any call, you need to be just as hard-headed as the people that God's called you to. And I want this to sink in. And I'm hoping that some lights are going to go on tonight. Maybe you've been the strong-willed child in your home. Maybe you've been that, you know, that, that person that you're so stubborn. For you, maybe when you became a Christian, you rebelled against everything in your house. And you didn't care. You knew that it was right. You went after it. You're not in it to please a whole bunch of people. I think if I found anything out about Ionians, they're not really in it to please a whole lot of folks. That's kind of refreshing. I believe that 
We need to be just as stubborn for Jesus Christ as people are stubborn for their sin and in their sin. We need to be just as stubborn. Just as stubborn. And we need to be willing to walk up to people, man, when are you going to get sick and tired of being sick and tired, man? When are you going to? I don't know how many times I've told people, hey, we're right here. You know where to find us? Church right on Main Street. You know where, to find, you know where we are? I'm, I'm right here. I'll, I'm just as stubborn as you are. When you're through being crazy. I want to show you a couple examples of some stubborn people that God used greatly because I believe that there is a God-given stubbornness in every call in every ministry. If you ask me, there are aspects of faithfulness that are just flat-out stubborn. Faithful people are stubborn. Nope, I'm going to be there. I said I'd be there, I'm going to be there. You're so stubborn. Yep. And so are you. Except the things that I'm stubborn for have an eternal value. And I realize that I'm being used by God from a greeter at the door to a children's worker. I'm being used by God. And one day, I'm going to be so grateful for this divine stubbornness that I have because I'm going to meet people in heaven that I was a part of a work whereby they were reached and their life was forever changed. I'm going to be so grateful that I was. Why is it that when we were not Christians, when we were not serving God, we were so radical. And then when we became Christians, we became like these holy Joes. And, and people look at us and, they're, and we're scary and we're frightening. Um, we, don't even, we almost seem plastic. I, I think that Christianity today needs to be genuinely like, yeah, this is who I am. I mean, if kids in high school today are being called out in the carpet for being Christians and could cost them their lives, since when should we be cowering? And that's been a lot of the problem with Christianity in years past. It, it, it was ducking and hiding instead of standing and boldly proclaiming. And so let's look at a couple individuals. Go to Isaiah 50. <coughs> Isaiah 50. I love the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, I think I, I, could, read, I could read them for 100 years and, and never exhaust just those books. Look at verse 7. This is such a great verse. This could be a mirror or a fridge verse for you. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do his will, and I know that I'll not be put to shame. I mean, to me, that's like Isaiah, like, in their face. I don't care. I do not care. Because I know, I know, I know that God is asking me to do this. I know that the sovereign Lord has given me his word. I know. I mean, if you read the verses up to that, he said, I know that the sovereign God helps me. I'm not going to be disgraced. I set my face like a flint, older versions say. I set my face like a stone. Picture a stone. Just picture a stone. I'm not going anywhere. 
You can dance all over the place. Isn't it amazing in Proverbs it says, don't associate with those given the change. So the opposite's got to be true. Then associate with those who are not. I mean, where are the stone-faced Christians? I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, do your worst. I'm, I'm, I'm not going. I'm so grateful that Martin Luther, what, 15, 17? I'm so grateful that he stood there. Yeah, I've done all that I can do. I can do no more. You, do whatever you're going to do. At the risk of his life, I'm so grateful that he did. I'm so grateful that people like Martin Luther King, Billy Graham, were unashamed and unafraid. One's life was cut short, the other one lived to 99. I'm so grateful that they boldly stood there and proclaimed the truth. They said that you couldn't be around Billy Graham without him trying to lead you to Christ. That you couldn't even be around him. So every time he was with a president, I guarantee you that he asked them or he led them to the Lord. George Bush, um, the son, Herman Walker is the father, right? Um, George, um, George Bush um, said that Billy Graham led him to the Lord. Just uh, amazing, so bold. What do we care what people think? They're going to think anyway. Give them something to think about. What do we care? They just tried to lead me to the Lord. I mean, that's the worst that they can say about you? They're always trying to make me a Christian. Well, I can't make you a Christian. I can pray with you and you can become one, but I can't make anyone anything. I love the stubbornness in Isaiah's calling. Go to 2 Peter and look at Peter. <laughs> I love Peter. Oh, I can't wait to see Peter. 2 Peter. Look at 1. 2 Peter 1. Look at 12. And I want you to see how stubborn he was and how uh, he, he would not relent. Look at his words. Look at, um, start in verse 12. It says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. And it's only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For, the, for our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon lead this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. Peter's attitude towards the end of his life was to work harder than ever to remind people that already knew when he kept reminding them. I'm going to keep reminding you. God's told me that my time is short. I'm going to keep reminding you. I love Peter's attitude. Love his attitude. And I believe the Apostle Paul may be one of the best pictures of divine stubbornness. Go to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. I'm going to try to read this list slow because it just shouldn't be read quickly because it is just so loaded. This is his life. This is his life. His life. Pick it up in 23. And he's talking about people that are saying, you know, things that are opposing him and their ministry. He says, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more and I've worked harder been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced many dangers from rivers and from robbers. 
I face danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I face danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I face danger from men who claim to be believers and are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all these things, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Why could God use a guy like that to write two-thirds in the New Testament? Can you see his heart? Go ahead. Kill me if you can. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And we know that Paul finally was martyred under Nero's rule. You'll see his last words in 2 Timothy. But what that guy did, what that guy, he was relentless. I mean, he would, he would preach. They would have to carry him away before he got killed. They'd have to pray for him so that he'd get healed. They'd leave him for dead. We killed him. Saints would rally around him, pray for him. He, there he is. He's up. He's moving. It must have drove the devil nuts. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Do you understand even what it just meant to be beaten with rods? Not even to be whipped 39 times, but to be beaten with rods. Beaten with rods, I think it says three times. So everything but the head, I think from the head to the knees, beaten with rods. And when the scripture says beaten, it means beaten. That guy's body must have been so deformed. He, we know that his, that his eyes were poor because there are times when he's writing and he'd say, I know that you would even you know, pluck out your eyes and give them to me if you could because his eyesight was so bad. He must have been scarred all over his body. All over his body. And yet he just kept going. And notice that his concern for the church, it didn't worsen, it increased. I mean, that's inspiration to me. Every time I want to cop an attitude towards the church, I'm thinking, oh, Paul didn't. I remember Rick Renner talking about a time in his ministry when he was frustrated, when he was burning out, and he decided to go to, to Europe and visit the prison where Paul was. And the prison where Paul was, if you ever want to look it up, it's a great study. Look up the Mamertine Prison, M-A-M-E-R-T-I-N-E. I'm almost positive that's how you spell it. The Mamertine Prison. It was a hideous, hideous place. And Rick Renner had studied it quite thoroughly. I mean, he's a Greek scholar, and he had studied it quite thoroughly. He didn't know the half of it. And when he got there and the tour guide was was taking him in there, he said, well, we know it was an inner prison. And as an inner prison, the, the, the raw sewage from the city would have run through there. So imagine being a prisoner, and we know Paul was not a tall man, you know, five, five foot, five one, five two maybe, wasn't a tall guy. So he's chained, raw sewage every once in a while coming through, rats, Prisoners dying from limb rot to the left and the right of him. And he wrote epistles from that prison. Like Philippians, it says rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. He was relentless. Relentless. Think about the things that we bicker and that we quarrel over. 
I don't know about you, but don't you think that that's the enemy's attempt to get us noticing and looking at something that's so petty and so small in light of what God desires to do in these last days? Here, let me get you distracted over here. Yup, you got another hangnail. Can you believe it? God doesn't love you. Yup. Oh, did you see the way they looked at you? <laughs> and their leadership here. I wouldn't put up with that. I wouldn't put up with it one bit. When's the last time they sang a hymn? When's the, when's the last time? We don't even use hymnals anymore. Hello? Things I've never heard before, by the way. We've had people leave our church because they didn't like the fact that we gave a public invitation for people to invite Jesus into their heart. They didn't like that. We've had people leave our church because they don't like some of the people that are coming. They think they're a little rough. I'm thinking that's why we're here, to go after the rough, because we were all rough. Who was rough? I was rough. You wouldn't have wanted me going anywhere near your daughter. Um, I was not the guy. No way. Lisa wouldn't have come within 10 feet of me if I didn't know Jesus. No way. No way. There is a concerted effort by the enemy to get you distracted. And I want to remind you of something. God's word, it's sweet to the taste, but it's a little bit of sour down here. And you want to know why? Because that's where she's cooking. Remember John 7, 37 and 38, out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. Isn't it amazing that the word of God once digested could sit a little bit sour with us, could be a little bit bitter down there? Why? Because we're supposed to do something with it. That's why. You're not a container for it to remain. You're a vessel for it to flow through. You know what I think the bitterness is? I think the bitterness is it's sitting there too long. It's sitting there too long. All that word's pent up. And I think it needs to go out. I think testimonies need to start popping up. Let me tell you about my struggles. Let me tell you what I went through. It's why I'm always given portions of my testimony, how I used to smoke weed and snort coke and, and, and get hammered drunk and sleep around, how I was that guy. And then I got saved at the age of 20, turned my world upside down. I felt like a freak among my friends. And they were like my only friends. I, 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 the great big huge church that we went to, I had to make friends. I know, crazy thought today. I had to make friends I had to make friends, and I don't think you can do that through social media really well. I don't think you can email that. I think it takes a concerted effort to build relationship. And the scary thing is, is that for our young people who are in school all the time, there's a greater opportunity for them to do that. But as we become adults, I believe the biggest tactic of the enemy is to keep you away from church. And this is where these alliances and these relationships that are godly should be forming. That's why it's so easy for people to get offended today because the devil does not want you forming healthy relationships, brothers and sisters coming alongside of you. Yet the Bible says that a brother is born for adversity. I believe it's Proverbs 17, 17. Born for adversity. You don't even know who your brothers and sisters in Christ are until you go through some stuff. And the people that you thought were your friends, and then all of a sudden there are these people from church that, hey, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I, I'll be right over. Why are you doing this? Somebody did it for me. 
And I'm grateful that I get to be the one to pick you up instead of the one that's getting picked up. Years ago, I was a, just a baby, a baby Christian, and, you know, just kind of, you know, if, if you haven't had glasses all your life, then you will remember acutely the first day that you got them. Remember that? The ground was kind of like this. And to step off a step was weird. To reach into a drawer, your depth perception was weird. Why? Because your vision was getting corrected. When you become a Christian, it's awkward. It's, it, 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 it's, it's weird. So let's say you're married, your spouse is a Christian, and you're not. They're weird. They're like awkward. They're happy about stuff. You don't know why. They cry about stuff. You, do, you don't know why. Their heart's so soft. That was so beautiful you picked up that puppy. <laughs> and they just seem weird. Um, it's because they've, they've, been, they've been changed. And I'm this young Christian, and um, this, this older um, woman, um, our families were real close. Um, Grandma Kowalczyk, um, she called up, and she said, I want my grandson to come to church and John, he kind of looks up to you, um, and why don't you let me pick you up for church so that he'll come to church? And she was just one of those people that I, 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 just, I couldn't say no to. I wanted to say no so bad. I, I wanted the babes to notice me, and they're not going to notice me if I'm walking in church with grandma, you know? <laughs> Little short, you know, grandma, you know, I'm wondering why all the Christian guys got all these cute girls, and I'm this guy that's just come out of the world, probably still smelling like fire, and yet I want to be in church all the time. That's all I know. And so um, I said, sure, okay, John, great. I'll be there to pick. So she comes in this great big Buick Electra, if you guys remember those cars. Thing was a boat, you know. Um, I'm surprised they didn't serve meals on that thing. It was huge. So I'm, I'm getting into the car. There I am with Grandma. Tommy's in the back seat. And we're going to church together. I'm walking in with Tommy and Grandma. I'm thinking, Awesome. Little did I know that I was going to end up in the ministry one day and Tommy's life was going to be required of him at 19 years old. I didn't know. Man, I didn't know. Grandma knew something. She was a praying woman, and, and, and she knew something. She knew something. And all I did was I just kind of found myself like caught up in like this current of like godliness, you know, you're kind of caught up in a current of ungodliness, and then you you kind of you get you get saved and you get plugged into the church, and and God's kind of directing you. You don't even realize that He is, but He is, and that's kind of what I what I got I got caught up in, and all I did was just stubbornly keep coming to church, and people that I grew up with heard that I got saved, became a Christian. Some didn't understand it. I had former coaches of mine from high school say, Prominsky, what happened to you? Are you like a priest now? You know, what's going on? Yup, 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 ordained priest, yup, yup, that's me. Um, thinking, oh, if that happened, I'd be a scandal in the making if that ever happened. I just felt completely out of water, but I just stubbornly knew where I needed to be. And I just want to say this. I think God's looking for some stubborn Christians in these last days. 
And if you could stubbornly choose to go your own way and do your own thing to your harm and to the harm of others, then you can stubbornly insist on going God's way to the benefit and the blessing of others. And you must resolutely make up your mind that you are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. God, what would you have me to do with my life? Whether it's going to Australia like like Caleb's gonna in in July, whatever it is, whether it's to come to Ionia when you're living in Grand Haven like Lisa and I did three months after we built a new home. God, whatever, whatever it is. What would you have me to do? Because I've been way too caught up with my own life. I think it's time that I started to get caught up in yours. How would you have me invest my life? And I just want to say this. Introvert, extrovert, it does not matter. Pastor John, I would rather reach animals than human beings. So sorry. We're not going to debate whether there are animals in heaven. Some have had visions where they've seen them. Great. All I know is that Jesus didn't die on the cross for animals. Although some people act like it. And he needs to use you. And so don't, don't hide behind your furry friends, your comfort pets, if it's going to keep you from getting out in public and reaching people for Jesus Christ. I charge you to influence somebody's life for all eternity this year? Could it be that you've been a little too wrapped up in your own world? Could it be? Could it be that you've been frustrated lately because of things that have not worked out for you like, they, like you think they should? You know, I find that God sometimes puts you in a place that's quite tight and quite pressing, forcing you to come to him. Forcing you to come to him. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you think about it, Jesus didn't shed his blood on the cross first. He shed it praying in the Garden of Gethsemane first. And we know that it is a literal occurrence that you can be under such duress that you can literally sweat blood. Anybody in the medical profession here will verify it. So that wasn't made up. And Jesus didn't pray once. He prayed three times. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Three times he prayed it. And in Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus cried out to his father, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. And that word Abba is an old Aramaic term. It's a term that a toddler, before they begin to develop any kind of a vocabulary, would cry out to their father like Papa Dada. It's like the equivalent of Dada. Abba, Father, Papa God, Daddy God. He's crying out to him. And the three that he brings with him, Peter, James, and John, they cannot stay awake. They've fallen asleep. Have you ever find those moments where you're calling your friends and they just, they're not there? They're, why won't they text? Why won't they respond? Question mark, question mark, question mark. They're not getting back to me. I can't get a hold of them on Messenger. I can't get a hold of them through text. I'm going to try to email. The world is going to end. I can't get a hold of them through Instagram. Turn to Jesus. And each time the Bible says that Jesus went a little bit further and prayed the same thing. A little bit further and prayed the same thing. Maybe you haven't gone far enough and maybe you haven't gone deep enough. And God's put a sleep on your friends. They just can't stay awake for the life of them. They're only human. They just can't stay awake. 
They, they couldn't be there for you when you needed them the most. Maybe you were supposed to go a little bit further. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I have been there, and it is this, this grassy area with these old, gnarled, and I mean like just olive trees are just, they're, they're not pretty at all. They're these gnarled, twisted trees. And in the middle of this olive grove was an olive press. And an olive press was like this cement circular thing and it had a groove in it and olives would be placed in that groove and this stone wheel would be placed on there and it would crush the olives and the oil would be extracted. The Garden of Gethsemane is called the place of the press or the place of pressing. And in that place, that's exactly where Jesus had his Gethsemane. So that that which was most beautiful could be extracted for him just like that oil was needed from those olives. And it could be right now you're in a place of pressing. You feel squeezed on every side. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. He squeezed. Turn, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Don't stubbornly turn your back on him. He's setting you up to come to him. Setting you up to come to him. Come to him. Why are you staying away from him? Are you punishing God by withholding yourself? Are you going to show him he's never going to treat you like that again? Is God some liar that some of his promises only hold true in the Bible? I'll finish with this story and then we'll open up the altars and we'll pray with any of you that want to be prayed for. Years ago, a friend of mine was going through a very challenging time, difficult time. Great guy. And, uh, um, failed relationships and, um, and, uh, and I mean, and he was a, and he was truly a catch successful guy. Um, he was an engineer and never went to school for engineering. That's just how smart he was. Just a, a, a brilliant, brilliant guy. And just wondering why this aspect of his life desired to spend his life with somebody and God hadn't provided that person yet. And was just really going through this difficult, difficult time. And, um, all of a sudden, he just grabs his Bible, and he said, I just had the most incredible time with God, and the time just flew. And right after I closed my Bible, my phone rang. And he said, and it was a friend of mine, and said, dude, who have you been talking to? I've been trying to call you for a couple hours. He said, I haven't been talking to anybody. He said, your phone has been busy for a couple hours. I've been trying the whole time to get a hold of you. Don't tell me that God doesn't want to spend time with you. He wants to spend time with you. I think sometimes we're stubborn about all the wrong things, and I'm inviting you to be stubborn about all the right things tonight. To be stubborn for Jesus Christ tonight. To so stubbornly refuse all the distractions and to come to Jesus. And maybe that's you tonight. Before you leave this place, you're getting it. The plan of the enemy is getting exposed. You're, you're, you're getting it. You're grasping it. You're getting it. You've been set up. And you need to dig your heels in. Oh, it's on. All right. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. I can remember being a, a youth pastor. And our youth services were Sunday nights just like they are here. I never thought about that, but yeah, just like they are here. And weeks in a row, I would get nauseous in the afternoon. 
and questioned whether or not I was supposed to call off the youth service. But I'm thinking, you know what? No, I'm, I'm just going to go. Stubborn. I'd walk through the church doors. Happened again the next week. And then the next week. And as soon as I began to realize it, they stopped. He's going to have to come up with something new. So what is it? Is it anger? Is it anxiety? Is it fear? Is, are you, you fearing for your life? Well, if the devil could kill you, why hasn't he? What's he waiting for? He doesn't want to torture you. He wants to remove you. It's because he can't kill you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't get lost. You can't be deceived. You can't be killed by the enemy. You're going to go when God's done with you. And I believe you're here tonight. He ain't done with you. It's time to be stubborn. Stubborn for Christ's sake. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to have our ministry team come while I'm praying. We're going to open up these altars. The choice is yours. I'm not asking you to do it for, for husband, for wife, for sister, brother, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad. It must be your decision to dig your heels in and be stubborn.